Luke, you know, first of all, maybe we ought to address why you're called Father Luke. I was thinking about that. Your priesthood ordination is set for April 16th of this year. 15th, I think. That's right, 15th. 15th, yes. 16th is your first Mass year. Correct. But we've been calling you Father Luke since your ordination to the diaconate back in September. Right. Um, And we do that for uh, really two reasons. The first one is simplicity and consistency. You're ordained. Um, you have a, um, a spiritual leader in this parish, and so it's easier just to keep calling you that mm-hmm. from September on. But the other one is, Father, um, these are all honorifics that aren't found in canon or prayer book. Right. It's just custom. Right. And in, there is a custom for Orthodox clergy, certainly Anglo-Catholic church, clergy, mainly in the Church of England, to um, call um, deacon's father, mm-hmm. especially if they're transitional and on their way. So so that's why, if people were wondering, you are a deacon, you will be ordained a priest in April, um, yet you continue to, you have a, a function as a spiritual leader in this parish. So Father Luke, you preached this past Sunday, and you preached on the law, mm-hmm. and we were talking briefly before we hit record, and I'm trying to find the author um, um, on my phone. I read a book years ago called A Year of Living Biblically, and this was, there it is, um, A.J. Jacobs, who was actually a very interesting author. This was back in the time of um, like immersion journalism, and A.J. Jacobs was or maybe still is an editor of Esquire magazine. And I think he did some other books on um, immersion. He did, well, did he do, like sometimes I've read them where they join the circus and they write about it. Um, There was a a guy named um, Filer. Um, Gosh, what was his first name? He did Walking the Bible. Yeah. But he also wrote about, he joined the circus, but he also did a master's degree at Oxford as an American and wrote about it. Really interesting stuff. So what A.J. Jacobs did, though, this book came out in 2007, is I think he's the one that said that he was Jewish in the same way that Olive Garden is Italian, <laughs> uh, meaning that technically he was, but but not observant. Yeah. And so he decided to spend a year of following all of the commandments to the best of his ability, um, every letter of the law. And for instance, um, I remember that, I mean, so the things that that are more well known about the law, like not mixing fibers, yep. he, he followed that. Um, he, when his wife was on her period, he, he would separate for yeah. seven days. There was one I remember is that he, there were two things I remember. There was one that when he, uh, to not touch anything that was unclean, he would carry with him one of those little um, sort of walking sticks that becomes a stool. Oh, okay. And so like on the subway, he would make sure he would sort of sit there to, wow. to separate. I don't remember the exact context of when all he did it, but that was his solution. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he actually stoned people. But his uh, stoning, and I, I don't remember what they did, but he had tiny little pebbles, uh, and he would just kind of like throw yeah. them, you know. Uh, obviously, he wasn't letter hurling. Yeah, letter of the law. It was really interesting to watch him or to read about him trying. I mean, obviously, he was doing it for comical purposes, mm-hmm. but at the end, he started to understand, and I need to go back and find the book and read it again. He started to understand some deeper points that I think in the beginning, as he was looking at this, saying, this will be a bestseller, it'll be funny, people will enjoy reading it, because look how ridiculous this is, and I'm going to follow it for a whole year. But then toward the end, I think his own observance increased, and his appreciation, understanding of the point of it, the spirit of it, began to to seep in. And Hmm. we've been talking the past week or so about the law, and when we mean the law, we mean the laws of Moses, Ten Commandments, right. the six hundred and thirteen um, laws that we that that rabbis have identified. Right. I mean, in the Old Testament, 
or if you're coming from a Jewish perspective in the Hebrew Bible, mm-hmm. in the Torah, in the Tanakh, they're not listed one through six hundred and thirteen. Yeah. It's just looking back and saying, you know, here they are. Even um, even the Ten Commandments aren't listed as the ten. Right. We and just depending on what tradition you're in, eight or nine might be different numbers. They might. For you. They mean, might. So that's going to be part of our topic today, um, as we sort of ponder. How do Christians look back on the law? And if Jesus, for instance, in the gospel that we're going to talk about, um, says that, you know, one jot and one tittle Mm -hmm. should not pass from the law, do we need to be living like A.J. Jacobs in his book and carry the stool, carry little stones in our pockets, um, watch our fibers, keep, keep, Mm-hmm. kosher, et cetera. So that's going to be some of the things that we'll get into do yeah. today. Yeah, and we'll, you know, to, to everyone listening or watching, um, neither of us are, are Jewish scholars. We're not, you know, claiming to, to know everything about the Old Testament. And we've been talking for the past couple of days, and it's kind of made it clear that we don't know, you know, everything about this. Um, but we've got some some points here and there that I think will be worth discussing and might help introduce people to how should we as a Christian even just begin to approach like Leviticus? Um, Are you going to know everything after, you know, a week of reading it? No. I mean, rabbis have been studying this and and they still argue to this day on various, I mean, there's a lot here, but um, hopefully it kind of, you know, whets the appetite a little bit for, hopefully if you're listening, it might encourage you to go and pick up Leviticus or Deuteronomy and read some of those passages. Um, so we'll kind of bounce around a little bit and, you know, some of our thoughts may be a little scattered because the law is is massive and there's 15 different ways you can kind of go when talking about the law. But hopefully it kind of introduces people to just some of the things you should be thinking about when you approach some of these passages. Yeah, before you do the colic, before the thought leaves my mind, we, we're taking this, this approach that Christians have. One is Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law Correct. that we have plain in Scripture. Number two, however, the law is still a part of our Holy Scripture. Correct. So we have both. The Christian Bible is not simply... Matthew through Revelation. It is Genesis through Revelation. We read Genesis through Malachi through the lens of Jesus, so we have that. So that's point number one that we'll we'll talk about. Number two is just to to make the the point is that Scripture doesn't always interpret itself, Mm -hmm. and especially, especially in portions of the Old Testament, some things aren't clear. And so you have in the in the Jewish community commentaries, midrashes, the Talmud, um, all of these rabbinical teachings and traditions. Mm -hmm. And so as we'll get into this, we'll we'll discuss how there is no um, unified theory, no um, um, totally agreed upon approach to this, which is why this is still exciting to talk about. Yeah. Let me open with a colic for the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany. Let us pray. Set us free, O God, from the bondage of our sins, and give us, we beseech thee, the liberty of that abundant life which thou hast manifested to us in thy Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Well, let me turn to Matthew first, um, and that will kind of just give us our foundation for, you know, being Christians approaching the law. Um, We're going to look at Matthew 5. This was the gospel from this past Sunday. Matthew being the one that biblical scholars would argue is perhaps the most Jewish of all the gospels. Yeah, so what you mean by that, um, if you've never been introduced to this before, that the themes in Matthew are almost making assumptions that you know what's happening in the Old Testament. Whereas in Luke, um, he kind of explains things a little more or doesn't make as many Jewish references, which makes us think he's writing to Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Um, if I wrote a letter and you know to somebody at St. Timothy's and was talking about some of the things that happened in the church, it would kind of be easy to figure out, oh, yep. he's writing to someone who knows about this kind of stuff. If I wrote a letter to 
you know, somebody who attends a, a Methodist church, I might use different language than I would to another Episcopalian because there's, there's not that common understanding. So that, that's kind of the background of this. So we pick up in Matthew 5, um, and, and, you know, the, the gospel started with verse 13 this past Sunday, which is, you know, Jesus talking about you were the salt of the earth, and then you were the light of the world. But I'm just going to pick up in 17 because that's really what we want to talk about. So this is Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm reading the NRSV. Uh, do you have the RSV in front of you? Yeah. So mine says not one letter, not one stroke of a letter. Some others say dot or iota. Yep. Mine um, has not one, not an iota, not a dot. And an iota is actually a Greek reference. Mm-hmm. An iota is, if we were to transliterate, would be the I. So it's um, it's the I, it's the dot over it, mm-hmm. meaning not nothing is insignificant and not one portion will... Will pass away. Right. Even the the characteristics of the letters have something to tell us. Um, and, and part of what I preached about is that we find Jesus in the in the Old Testament. So now that Jesus has fulfilled the law, as we say, um, we can go back and actually find him there. Meaning, we can't throw away passages of the law or the Old Testament because we think they are meaningless. Because Jesus is almost identifying himself with even the least of these commandments. Um, the question that eventually arises for people is, well, do I have to follow all of these laws, um, the letters of the law? What do I do with them? What do I do with the purity rituals? Um, we're wearing mixed fibers right now. Should we undergo some sort of, you know, uh, repentance process for that? And, and part of what I te- uh, preached about is that the law was never intended to um, stand or fall with perfect obedience. Um, you know, God... At the end of the, the giving of the law in the Torah and Deuteronomy and before it's given in the first place, kind of says, my people are going to keep breaking my commandments. They will keep turning after false gods. The success of the law does not rise or fall with people's perfect obedience. It was never intended to be that way in the first place. It was intended to, to teach people to be a reminder of them, um, of the holiness of God. And so, you know, the, the letters of the law are not the end goal. Um, they are means to an end, and the end is holiness or righteousness. And so when Jesus comes and fulfills it, it's not the letters of the law that we still follow, but their meanings are actually found even deeper in the work of Jesus Christ. So, you know, Christians long have, have said that baptism is the fulfillment of the purification rituals. Um, those things which you had to do to then enter into the temple in the sacrificial system and receive, you know, the benefits of the sacrifice. Well, we, we do the same thing. We, we say you are baptized and then you are able to approach the, the altar rail and receive the benefits of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The, the fundamental message is still there, even if the, the how, the letters have, have changed slightly because it's, it's fulfilled now. Um, it is an in, inward transformation, not necessarily just, just an outward symbol. Well, let's, let's, for a moment, take a higher yeah. um, 30,000 view, foot view on this and talk about the context of the law. And, and let's, again, let's define this, the law of Moses. Correct. The law given through Moses before the entrance into the promised land. Right. So the Old Testament or the Bible as a whole can be intimidating for people mm-hmm. when they look at these massive books that we have. Yeah. Once you understand the general trajectory, the the narrative arc, and you be- understand where those books fall on that arc, it becomes a bit more accessible. So Genesis, obviously the story of creation through Joseph, um, um, Joseph being the the patriarch, not the father of Jesus. Then we have Exodus, obviously Exodus, your exit, the deliverance from, from um, Pharaoh, and the beginning of wandering in the wilderness, 
Leviticus, from um, the, the, the Levitical priesthood, um, continuing that we're still in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Numbers, we're still in the wilderness. Um, Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law, is right before they enter into the promised land. So right. the first five books of the, of the Bible, the Torah, your creation, the patriarchs, um, slavery, deliverance of Pharaoh, but the majority of the Torah is law oh. and wilderness. Mm-hmm. And that alone may, may help a little bit. So what is the point? What is God? Why are we created? We're created to enjoy the love of God. Mm-hmm. Why did God create us to enjoy him? Because God is good and, and, and to, it's, a, it's an act of, it's a self-gift, mm-hmm. a, a gift for us to come to, to, to know him and, and to love him. Um, and so the whole of the Bible is to, is to show us, to reveal to us how we can enjoy God right. and be in relationship with him. Mm-hmm. That's what happens in, in the Garden of Eden. And then we see a transgression with that. And then from the covenant that continues from um, Noah mm-hmm. and the rainbow, um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph again being a son of, of Jacob slash Israel, it's all about establishing the relationship. And the relationship was, um, I will be your God mm-hmm. and you will be my people. Basically, follow me. But I think we can say that the the focus of that relationship was centered on those patriarchs. Right. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, yeah. and then um, Joseph was was a was a salvific figure right. in delivering the people and bringing them salvation. But then once those patriarchs ended and we're in um, all these years, 400 years of slavery, Moses is now raised up, mm-hmm. delivers the people, but now they have to wander for 40 years. We talked about, I think this last time, the, sim- the symbolism of the number right, 40, 40, new birth, gestation. Yep. Yep. They're about to enter into the land and they're going to be without a unified figure. Mm-hmm. in terms of the patriarchs. And they will have judges and they'll have kings, mm-hmm. but they're not quite the same um, in terms of a, of a focus of identity. And so now they're given the law, how to live. How do you yeah. know God? How do you know each other? Um, the whole point of it, though, we have to remember, is so that we can be in relationship with God. And once we are in right relationship with God, we know what it means to be in right relationship with one another. Right. Why don't we why are we not supposed to kill or bear false witness or still or steal or commit adultery? Because of what we know about the holiness of God. Right. It flows from that and not and not the other way around. So that's the point of the law, why it was given in the first place. And we have to always, I think, keep that in perspective so we don't get lost in the weeds. Mm-hmm. This is designed to bring us closer to God, to know him, right. to know something about ourselves and to and to live in relationship, right relationship with one another. Yeah, I mean the law gets distilled to what two commandments? That's love right. God, love your neighbor. Which both in the, in the Old Testament and in the New and Testament. And in the prayer book tradition in the old one, the summary of the law right. is given at every mass. Yeah, it is a, a um, you know maintaining or even fixing of, of relationships. I mean that is your relationship with God, your relationship with your with your fellow man. That's kind of always what it what it centers around. And to anticipate the response, well, why can't we just love God and love one another? Well, great, but it's more complicated yeah. than that. We have details mm-hmm. because then we start we start defining things and we start moving the line. Mm-hmm. Well, what well, is that? Is that who who is my neighbor? Is what right. is what someone asked Jesus. Yeah. And he, We're and he always responded trying to with a find parable. an easier route. Exactly. Yeah. Which is why he says in this, um, the, the definition of the relationship is not defined by us. Mm-hmm. We don't define what is right relationship, which is why one jot, one tittle, not one iota, yeah. not one dot should be taken away because it's not our province to mm-hmm. determine the boundaries of right relationship with God or, or one another. And this goes back to the, the creation story. We were banished from the Garden of Eden. That was the begin. That's why the law is necessary. We've lost that direct connection with God. And that also kind of helps us understand why the law is always concerned with this idea of maintaining holy spaces or the presence of God. Well, we've lost that with Eden. You know, that connection has been severed. And this is the long salvific history of, of how we basically regain that. Um, it goes through the law, through the prophets, finally to Jesus, where that relationship, um, that string connecting us to God is is kind of um, formed back or grafted again. 
So I've got something um, kind of humorous. This is uh, something I came across. Let me make sure it uh, shows up on the screen. There we go. So this is uh, Vincent Setterholm. It was intended to be humorous, so don't don't take this too seriously. If you are listening, um, it it is uh, a PDF that I've pulled up on the screen entitled "The Torical Oxen Law," um, and this was a guy. And if you Google Setterholm uh, Oxen Law, you'll probably be able to find it. But if you're watching on the video, you can see this is a little flowchart based on the law of what to do with an ox. And, you know, at the beginning, it just simply asked, was the ox harmed, yes or no? And if it's yes, you know, you get all of these extra little um, questions to ask. No, was the ox coveted, you know, so on and so forth. And it goes on and on and on. And you have, you know, did the other ox die? Has this ox gored before, basically killed someone before? Is the ox lost? Is it the Sabbath? Are you plowing with the ox? Is it muzzled? Um, and so on and so forth. And at the very end, you know, if you've answered no to all these questions, is the ox blemish? No. Then it says, sacrifice it to the Lord. The priests get the shoulder, two cheeks, and the stomach. It kind of goes to show that there are so, so, so many laws, and sometimes it, it seems humorous to us. I mean, I am scrolling through all of these questions that you ask. Um, can he produce the torn carcass? You know, did, did your neighbor covet your ox? Do you own the pit that the ox fell into if it fell into a pit? So on and so forth. Um, it's kind of humorous, but uh, Paul brings up in 1 Corinthians 9, 9 through 10, actually a helpful response to this. When we see, you know, this humorous flowchart about what, what are we doing here, Paul says, For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox while it is treading on the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Or does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was indeed written for our sake, for whoever plow should plow, and hope of a share of a crop. Basically, Paul is saying, don't, don't lose the big picture, the thing we just talked about. Don't forget that this is all for our sake. This is to reestablish a right relationship with God. And so, you know, it's kind of humorous to make this flow chart that goes on and on about what to do with an ox, and there's all these laws. Well, and, Jesus says that. The Sabbath was made that's for right. man and not, not man made for, for the, the Sabbath. Sabbath. Yeah, the whole point is, is reminders for us. And so that kind of introduces two points of the law that, you know, scholars will use to help people dip their toe in. And, and one is a tutor, and one is a restrainer. Um, one is to teach us, and this is kind of what Paul is saying here, that all of these oxen laws, it was for your benefit. It was to teach you something, to remind you something. <clears throat> so, you know, we'll get, we'll get all sorts of laws that are intended to um, intellectually or, or act as a physical reminder to teach us something, to keep our minds focused. And then we also get um, in Galatians 3.9, Paul talking about that the law was given for, let me find it right here, this is Galatians 3.9, uh, 3.19, excuse me, read it and it was not what I was anticipating. Why then the law, says Paul, it was added because of transgressions until the offspring would come to whom the promise had been made, and it was ordained through angels by a mediator. So there Paul is also saying, well, why the law? It was added because of transgressions. So here's the second purpose of the law, is it's almost a restrainer. It's to kind of, you know, limit the evil that is spreading. And this helps us understand why so many of the laws say, don't do what the Canaanites do. The Canaanites at the time were Israel's you know, biggest enemy. Um, they were doing things contrary to it. So you'll see a random law like don't boil a kid in its mother's milk. Mm -hmm. And we think, okay, uh, duh, why, why would you even consider that? Well, it's because that's a practice of the Canaanites, child sacrifice and in ritualistic practices. Which is why that. no cheeseburgers and things like that. So a kid meet with milk right. is, is, it, that's is the kosher. That's a reminder yeah. to don't be like the Canaanites. Correct. So that's almost the restraining aspect, protective of Israel, be different than the other nations, and also teach you that you need a Savior. Well, and two things uh, in, in sort of um, modern Christian practice that, that might help appreciate this more. One is, I mean, I know I do, and I have for, for many years, have I have my own um, Christian kosher, if you were to call it, and that's abstinence from flesh meat mm -hmm. on Fridays, mm -hmm. unless it's a solemnity. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that, I mean, that can be real pain, because you, you, you be. start craving something really good on Friday, and actually... Or you forget, you yeah, go out to eat, I mean, and you... 
Honestly, know? if you're if you're curious about um, about the law, try for for Lent to mm-hmm. eat to abstain from flesh meat, from chicken, from beef. Yeah. Um, you know, only fish on Fridays because two things two things will happen. One is that you'll realize. If you've never in your life craved steak or cheeseburger on Friday before or never have been conscious of it, just for one day of a, out of the week, say, I'm not going to have flesh meat and see how hungry you now are yeah. for that which you have deprived yourself. Yeah. And then ask yourself, what does that mean that never before have I been hungry for this? But the moment I say, I'm going to give this up for a season, mm-hmm. how hungry you become for it. Yeah. Number two, realize, as you said, how quickly you will slip up. There was a priest uh, on on Twitter last week in the UK who posted his mea culpa. He made um, bacon and eggs yeah. on Friday morning, yep. and he ate the whole thing before he realized it's Friday. Yeah, yeah. And and the point is not that you go, you're awful. It's just I don't have the discipline to simply not eat bacon one day a week, right. and I slip up. Yeah. So if I have a problem with that, then how? much more help do I need in loving my neighbor right. and saying my prayers and doing that. The other thing, I just want to go back to 1 Corinthians 9. I actually understood this law, don't muzzle an ox. What Paul is talking about, I think, is the laborers deserve to be paid. Yep. And if Paul is the ox, and by muzzle meaning there's a the mouth of the ox is covered, so when the ox is working, the ox can't, can't eat can't the eat, grain. Yeah. And I remember um, being in Wyoming um, riding a horse and... The, at, a, at a dude ranch, and the wranglers are very, very clear to say that when you're on the trail, when your horses are going to want to eat as they're walking, yeah. you get to jerk the reins up to to discipline them because it's a bad habit of mm-hmm. them because they're supposed to be working right. and not just because they won't they won't listen. They'll they'll have their own will. But I I understood and I began to disobey the wranglers. I thought, you know what, this poor horse yeah, has let, been let holding me. All day, and so I'm not going to muzzle this thing. But it was a way to say, don't exploit right animals. Yeah, don't exploit the things around us. Right. There's a difference between not having any boundaries, but let the thing eat. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's a lot of spiritual um, uh, import from that there that is. we can apply to to other things yeah. about about. Stewardship of creation, stewardship of of God's creatures, stewardship mm-hmm. of all sorts of things. Um, how to treat people in their labor? You know, right. give them their due. You know, treat people fairly. Just from that simple thing of uh, don't don't muzzle an ox. Yeah, I think a lot of the um, laws, while teaching us something, are also. I mean, there's scholars have long said that there's practical advice for some of these things. Um, Cut off the corner of your field you know, mm-hmm. for the poor yep. so that they can come by and graze on Let it. Let them glean. Right, um, just because they deserve it. And they're, we have they're a, made in the image of God. We have a, a shelter guest that you and I know very, very well who when she is, um, sometimes when she gets arrested for not paying for her food, she'll say, I'm I'm gleaning. I'm gleaning. Yeah, it, I, I it's really a, love it. <laughs> it's a biblical principle. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that, that, that's a great point. Um, we even get... I'm trying to think some, I mean, all sorts of laws that are both practical, but also deal with, you know, don't, don't oppress people. Yep. Um, that, that does seem to be a, a big theme running throughout um, the law. And I always think of people following that. Um, the first five books of the Old Testament are really the, the setting of the identity of what it, what it means to be Jewish, what it is to be Jewish. Um, they, they redo Passover each year to, almost re-participate in that thing that God established with them. That was kind of their identity. You know, what's it mean to be Jewish? It was you who got rescued out of out of Egypt um, and got given this law. In the first five books, just to say, in such the core of Jewish identity that in the New Testament, that's the one thing that the Sadducees and the Pharisees would agree on. Right. Because the Sadducees, if I'm not mistaken, really only held to the authority of the first five. Yep. And rejected any kind of oral tradition yeah. or mm-hmm. any other things, but they really hung to the first five. They did, and I think the, the, the only Pharisees change did. they made was the mountain on which Isaac was killed, yep. um, and that was, you know, obviously a big theme in the New Testament. But yeah, I mean, those five books are, are that's that's the identity. Um, but a lot of the laws are um, dealing with oppression, and I always think of you know the people who were oppressed, were enslaved, and that is part of what it means to be 
Jewish to follow God was to remember that he brought you out of the oppression. Now they are reminded, you know, don't oppress the people yep. around you. I, I think there's something to that. So in in this second half, um, I think I think it'd be worth kind of just going through, you know, purity laws, mixture laws. And I've got a couple things, a couple interesting points about some of these, but these are conversations we've had the past few days. And I, like I said at the beginning, we're not Jewish scholars, no. but part of what this allows us to do is introduce people to reading some of these things devotionally. Um, yeah, so what it means to find Jesus, find a exactly. spiritual message in even the most obscure laws. So if we if we acknowledge and accept the truth, which is what Jesus himself says, what Paul clearly says, mm-hmm. is that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law, meaning right. that... What, what does that mean? That means Jesus kept the law, mm-hmm. which is why the the liturgical celebrations of the circumcision of Jesus, right. the presentation, the ones we just went through, that Jesus himself being perfect, um, um, being fully God, fully human, the perfect victim, the perfect priest, all the things that, that we believe about him, he fulfilled the law, but he also um, fulfills the letter and the spirit, mm-hmm. love God, love your neighbor, so that when we now unite ourselves to him, our justification comes from him, mm-hmm. and that we're able to love God and love one another and fulfill the spirit of the law by following him, trusting in him, doing what he says to do, but also trusting that his sacrifice was uh, sufficient mm-hmm. for us and his grace is sufficient for us. So while the the law in the Old Testament is um, doesn't apply to us in the same way because we, have, we, we now unite ourselves to the fulfillment right. of the law, we can now look back into these into these commandments not as something that we must do in terms of like purity mm-hmm. but now we can look at them and find greater spiritual fruit that 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 gives us uh, greater depth into how we are to live out our love for and and um, following of Jesus Christ right does that make sense yeah absolutely you know what i mean so let me just also say when we say that that we have to be careful because there's some commandments that we need to follow by the letter. Mm-hmm. Thou shalt not kill. Yeah. Thou shalt not steal. Yeah. Those are ones we should absolutely not right. spiritualize and say, well, that's not really what they mean. No, yeah. don't kill. Don't do it. Fibers and things like that. Um, you know, There were different classifications yeah. of these. And frankly, in the New Testament... And we'll um, get into the fibers one because there's even nuances... In the law itself about yes. the fibers. Yes, I mean there 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 are sort of um, I think we can safely say there are tiers yeah. of, of of the laws to be Correct. followed. Yeah. So let's let's start with an obvious one, um, and this one, I think everyone actually knows. They just don't think of it in this way. Let's start with the sacrificial laws and how these get um, fulfilled in Jesus Christ and how we still follow them today. So the idea of the sacrificial laws and, and a lot of scholars will you know, kind of say these are intended to be analogies, um, even in the Old Testament or even, um, or, or metaphors. And I think people shy away from that because they think somehow that makes them less important. But I think throughout Scripture, we have metaphors where the whole point is the metaphoric meaning itself. So an example would be Christ is the bridegroom of the church yeah. and the church is the bride. Obviously, that's intended to be a metaphor, but we actually take that seriously and act upon it to the mm-hmm. point where nuns will wear a wedding dress when mm-hmm. they make their vows. I mean, that's a way of responding to a metaphor where the whole point is the metaphor, but we take it seriously and we actually participate as if it was true to remind us of that meaning. So the sacrificial system, um, the most obvious metaphor we can think of is the high priests were almost uh, imitating God the Father, and the lamb being sacrificed is an imitation of Jesus Christ or Flip it the other way around. The fulfillment of the sacrificial system is God the Father and God the Son, you know, offering himself as the priest and the thing being sacrificed. And all of the Old Testament, you know, sacrificial laws are almost setting the stage, preparing that context for where Jesus shows up. It's one that everyone implicitly understands, but we don't think of it as much as that is a way we fulfill the law, is simply by participating with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That is how he showed up and fulfilled the law. So, letter meaning, of the law. Meaning that, and, and the book of Hebrews speaks about this, right, all is, the that, time. is that 
The the sacrificial system had to be repeated、yeah. because both the priests offering the sacrifice, they were flawed,、yep. and the sacrifice itself was flawed. Right. But because Jesus was both perfect priest, being sinless,、mm-hmm. and the perfect sacrifice, meaning infinitely good God,、right. there's no longer a need for a continuing sacrifice. Correct. Which is why in the Book of Revelation. The only altar we see is the altar of incense,、mm-hmm. and not an altar of sacrifice,、right. because the sacrifice, once offered for all, covers everything. Yeah. So, this is an obvious, obvious way to kind of introduce letters of the law. Do we still kill lambs on an altar? No. Do we take sacrifice seriously? Absolutely. It's at the center of our worship. That is、um, a a very obvious way that. You know, Christians who have never really thought about this before can start making that connection of we take the law seriously, we take these sacrificial laws seriously, but we're not following the letter as it was in Deuteronomy. We're not dragging lambs in and killing them on our altar. But there are remnants of those sacrificial laws、uh, present in our in our sacrifice of the mass. Here's here's one example: the sacrificial laws always had to separate the body and blood. That was That's what a sacrifice is. Yeah, it's it. That's the death. That's the sacrifice.、Um, the the flesh and the blood had to be separated. And what do we do during mass? We offer the host and the wine separately. There、Correct. is that two consecrations. Right. Very important. Right. There's that separation of it. So we're taking that law seriously, but it is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We're not killing Jesus every Sunday again. We're we're representing the one sacrifice that Jesus did. That is how we take that those sacrificial laws seriously. Is simply. Doing what we've always done as the church. Yeah, and again, to to help with understanding it intuitively, why all the laws about how to worship? Well, we hear all the time, "I can worship God just as well on the golf course." Yes. No, 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 you can't actually. Correct. But but left to our own boundaries and definitions, we'll come up with that. Yeah. And so it has to be explained. Just like that chart you showed may be humorous, but there was probably a lot of reasons as to why it went overboard、yeah. or was extra in that. In that explanation, because we have to be held accountable, and not only the fact that there is imagery of a lamb on the altar, and that we have dual consecration of of body and blood,、mm-hmm. bread and wine, because the sacrifice is to separate blood from the body, which we see again、um, at the crucifixion with the spear in the yeah, side. Yeah, out came blood, and, blood. and、um, out, meaning、yeah. that this this sacrifice is complete; it is、mm-hmm. finished. The whole structure of the church building itself is of the temple. Yeah, there is there is a holy of holies where the priests enter. Correct. But there is access to that holy of holies because the temple veil has been torn,、right. and the temple veil is the flesh of Jesus Christ.、Mm-hmm. Um, but there is sort of you know the court of the Jews and the court of the Gentiles. Yeah. I mean, you can、yeah. really make an interesting the parallel. The beginning, you know, absolutely. The purification. No, absolutely. It's、uh, the the. And the temple and the holy of holies was supposed to be a microcosm of cosmos.、Mm-hmm. When we come into the church building, that is sort of our universe.、Yeah. And I, I love how Greek Orthodox churches will, will do it when they have.、Um, I remember being in Atlanta at seminary, going to the Greek Orthodox cathedral. I don't know if the one in Winston has a similar thing, but there was. And Atlanta was the largest mosaic dome in this hemisphere.、Mm. I think. I think it was like fifty-six feet across, millions of tiles. But you would go in, and it was the you know the Pontecrator, the 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 ruler of the universe,、mm. in a dome,、um, sort of encapsulating the whole space,、yeah. saying that in here is everything. Everything. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean. That that kind of brings up the idea of the presence of of God in all of the you know Old Testament laws. I mean, they're constantly concerned with maintaining holy spaces because that is where God dwells, and and it, it is constantly reminding people that these spaces are different. When they, when all the purity laws were always connected to the sacrificial system, which, as a side, is why so many of those laws aren't followed, even by. Even by Jewish people anymore, because they don't have the sacrificial system、Correct. in the temple. So there's no need to purify yourself, because I can't go to the temple for a sacrifice anyway. But it was always connected to this idea of sacred space that things are set apart. That being said, outside the Western Wall are the are the places to to richly wash your hands、oh, with the cups. Yep. So yeah. even though you're not going in the temple, that's you're in the clo- same space. That's as close as you're going to get.、Yeah. And so they have they have all the the cups where you wash your hands. Yeah, but we. 
we maintain that idea of sacred space. I mean, that's why we're insistent that you can't worship God on top of a mountain in the in the same way that you worship Him in the sanctuary. Is God present on top of a mountain? Yeah, absolutely. He's the creator of the universe. But there are designated places, holy spaces that have been set apart and that have rituals associated with them. Um, think of the old tradition of the um, Asperges, is how you pronounce it, mm-hmm. of sprinkling the holy water on the people and the space itself um, to set it apart. This is a This is a place designed to encounter God. It is not for anything else. The temple had... A, very clear distinctions in that. And we we keep that understanding to this day. We haven't done away with that, even if, you know, the structure of our church looks different than the temple. They're they're clearly related and we maintain the fulfilled meaning, which is there are holy spaces in our world that, that God has promised to be present in. You know, it was the Ark of the Covenant in the law. Now it's the consecrated, you know, bread and wine of Jesus Christ. I mean, wherever that is is a holy space. That's why we keep it in a tabernacle adorned with with precious stones to to remind us physically something's happening here that is not you know my tv stand at home yeah and not just the space but the priesthood mm-hmm. just if you put a tabernacle in your home doesn't mean that the sacramental presence is right. there and that's not because we are power brokers and we want to hoard Correct. the sacramental presence this is what god established mm-hmm. uh the levitical priesthood is the fulfillment of that is Jesus Christ, the high priest. And we as priests, we participate in Christ's priesthood. Mm-hmm. That's why we say his words at the altar. Right. He is the priest. We simply present that. Another way to think to appreciate sacred space more, thinking about, well, God is everywhere, but why is this place special to feel the presence of God? Aside from the sacramental system, right. aside from that alone, we can walk outside right now and look at the right point in the sky, and maybe that's where the Andromeda galaxy yeah. is. If you want to really see it, you would go to uh, at night to a telescope yep. and peer in that way and see it with extraordinary clarity. Doesn't mean it's is cut off from us in the daytime right. looking. You're, you're seeing it, but that space helps focus and bring it into clarity where we can see it and and understand. Yeah. Um, the church is the same thing. Mm-hmm. The whole building, um, Jeremy Hazelock once once took the uh, architect uh, Le Corbusier, who said that a home is a machine for living. Mm. Jeremy Hazelock, Father yeah, Hazelock, said the church is a machine for prayer. Yeah, That's what it's designed to do, to yeah. help us appreciate, come into the presence and be transformed by it. So, yeah, the, these... These purity laws, again, you know, taken out of context, read apart from the sacrifice of Jesus right. Christ, can seem punitive, unnecessary, mm-hmm. misogynistic, all these other things. But, but, but now that we have the confidence to look backwards from the cross, mm-hmm. we can find different fruit in them. Yeah, I mean, if you, were, if you were approaching these laws with the intent of finding something to disagree with, You'll find it everywhere. If you are approaching the text with the intent of learning more about what it means to relate to God and maintain that connection, you will find that as well. Um, so, you know, the encouragement for anybody approaching the law is approach it with, with a holy intent, with a spirit of prayer, um, and trusting that God will present himself to you in these pages. I mean, the scripture is the word of God, the revelation of God. Um, he is contained within them, and you will find him. Well, and if I if I have this Friday... Or even on Good Friday, let's take an extreme example. I have a filet mignon. Yeah. Is God going to smite me? No. But um, for me and my own awareness of God, if you know, I mean, it's it's given for me to come to know Him better, Correct. And to and to discipline it's my your body. It's for my benefit, not for God's pleasure. Mm-hmm. And we have to remember that's the whole point of yeah. it. Um, so it's again, it's not it's not as if we're there is magic or that um, it, it's all, there's no grace mm-hmm. involved. These, these are wonderful gifts God has given to us, right. saying if you want to run the marathon, here's your program, yeah. here's your daily routine, here's your diet, here's your community. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, you know, good luck doing it on your own, but if you want to get to the end, here is promised way to, to, to make it happen. We've got a little bit of time left, and there's there's one. Have little... we even gotten to your list? We haven't, have we? 
Well, we, we, yeah, we've been okay. talking about um, you know presence of God. That is that is one helpful way of understanding some of the laws. Imitating God, we we briefly touched on. Um, that, real quick, does help people understand some of the purity laws. Um, so many of them are related to death. And if you, you know, take a pre-scientific view around that time, um, an understanding of blood and water were life fluids. Um, you, you never wanted to lose those, So, mm-hmm. especially related to birth. So, you know, it kind of helps understand, okay, well, why are so many of the actions associated with birth make you ritually imp- impure? Well, it's almost a reminder of your mortality. I mean, to give birth just by simply giving birth, um, you know, the woman almost, she has been containing life and she gives it up. And so she almost is reminded of her own mortality. And so some scholars will say, well, all the ritual impurities are are avoiding death. Um, Anything that reminds you of your distance from God, because God does not die, makes you ritually impure. And that, it it does work some. It, It at least helps people kind of start thinking through some of these purity laws. And it gives people a reason for them other than they're punitive. Mm-hmm. Um, because, again, they're for our benefit. They're supposed to draw us closer to God. Um, and we were talking earlier, there is no, um, we were saying, there is no string theory, no yeah. no theory that unifies all this together in yeah. a Christian context. Correct. But there are, we can look at this, and, and there are, I think our, our point is to encourage Christians not to dismiss it. Right. Um Number one, number two, to be um, have a wholly negative view of this and and, and say we sh- we shouldn't read it; it's unhelpful. Yeah, there are challenging portions, and I mm-hmm. think so. On your list, what is the most challenging or difficult of those laws that that is the most difficult one for you personally to kind of try to figure out what in the there world are, there is are this difficult for? ones? But the one the one I actually wanted to talk about is the mixture laws because I think. Of fibers, you mean? Yeah, Yeah, yeah. mixing of fibers. So I I think so many people um, can look at the purity laws are the ones everyone always goes to, you know, because they seem so punitive, they seem misogynistic at times, um, or they just seem bizarre at at other times. But I think so many people have written enough about them that you can find ways to understand them. I mean, rabbis have written on the purity laws for a long, long, long time. And when you connect them to the sacrificial laws, it kind of helps you understand, you know... um, preparation for worship, stuff like that. Uh, those are those are difficult, though. I think those take a lot of um, time, and it takes an intentional effort to place yourself in the mind of people way back then. That's hard. The mixture laws, I, they're not as uh, punitive at first glance, but they're weird. Um, Leviticus 17 or 18? 19, 19. actually, is, is what I'm going to look at. And this is, uh, I came across um, a rabbi scholar, Jacob Milgram, um, again, I'm not a Jewish scholar. I don't know how well-received he is. He's he's a legit scholar who's written books on this and has taught at universities. Um, but he made a point about the mixture loss that I think is, is absolutely fascinating. So what he's talking about is, um, and, and we talk about different materials mainly, but the mixture laws are, are a little bit more broad than that. Leviticus 19.19 19 is actually a, a good summary of them. It says, "'You shall keep my statutes.'" You shall not let your animals breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two different kinds of seed, nor shall you put on a garment made of two different kinds of materials. So it's not just wearing you know, mixed materials. It's actually mixing seeds, mixing cattle. Um, all of these you know, mixture laws are, are really bizarre at first glance, um, mostly because it almost seems inconsistent. If you mix materials, it can almost be formed into one material. If you let your cattle breed with another, that's, that's them combining into one thing. Seeds are different. I mean, they'll each grow on their own. So it's, it's not necessarily, you know, a loss of identity that some people say. It, it's a really bizarre law. Uh, the scholar Jacob Milgram, um, stick with him for a second. The first thing he says when interpreting this is he reminds people of the cherubim. What are the images of the cherubim? How are they depicted in the Bible? I'm going to put you on the spot for a second. All right. You remember how they're, how they're depicted in the Bible? The cherubim? cherubim? Wings. And um, eyes and... I mean, I'm, I'm getting all my angelic... Um, no, but, you're, you're right. With the it's, wheels and, and... It's all sorts of yeah, yeah. mixtures. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, is uh, yeah. animal parts, human oh, parts. Oh, yeah, so in Ezekiel with, with uh, the, the face of yeah. a human and a lion. So he and actually says... Tigers and bears, oh my. This, this yeah, exactly. This mixing of of anything, mixture, belongs in the heavenly realm. He says that is 
supposed to remind us of heaven. That is where everything is mixed into one almost. And so when we comprehend it, um, you know, it, it, we see all these different pieces kind of finding their identity in Jesus Christ. So that's where he starts, which is interesting. It's kind of hard to see where he's going. But then he says um, that this mixing of fibers was not even followed by all people at all times. There were there were actually commandments to um, go back on this, or there were exceptions to this rule. And the exceptions, I think, actually follow this idea that mixing is for heaven. And he says that the high priest, their vestments contained mixed fibers. Um, and they actually contained specific mixed fibers, this um, blue thread or violet thread, depending on translations. And it was the the fiber that girded the breastplate or the gold plate to the turban. Um, I don't know a ton about about um, the Jewish high priest's clothing, but the gold plate had um, holy to Yahweh inscribed on it. And so the the f- mixed fiber was the thing that... That was on the turban, I think. Or, or yeah, it was turban. on the turban, yeah. Holy so it's connecting the Lord, yeah. these two. So holy to Yahweh. It's a reminder that this is set apart as Yahweh. So he says that. He says the high priest, which if we go back to the presence of God imagery, they are kind of entering into heaven almost. And so that's where the mixed fibers belong. So that's that's one And the fibers little... represent the colors represent the created order. Correct. It's both yeah, the all veil mixed together. It's both the veil and the and the high priest. And so that's sort of yes. God's representative and coming through the veil. Margaret Barker, we talked yep. about this. So if you want to yep. find someone interesting, Google Margaret Barker the high priest coming from heaven into the created world right. is coming out of the Holy of the Holies. So, the, yeah, the, the lower um, half of the tabernacle cloth is mixed fiber also. So there's this idea that that, that is a, a vision of heaven because it has the, the mixtures. The ordinary priest um, would wear it around their belt, I think is what he says. Um, but all the people were commanded to wear what's called a zitzit. And to look up how to pronounce this, this is in Numbers 15.38. And... The verse is not um, apparent at first glance, but apparently this is a very common um, Jewish understanding. The zitzit is, is the tassels that they wear. And it says, Speak to the Israelites and tell them to make fringes on the corner of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue cord on the fringe at each corner. The blue cord was dyed and was a mixed fiber. And it was the exact same dye that the high priests would use. So the, the image that he is painting is is basically this. The ordinary people have these tassels with the exact same mixed blue fiber that the high priests have. So whenever they see it, they're reminded of the garment that the high priest wears that enters into heaven. And so nowhere else do they have mixed fibers except for this one little tassel. And what he's saying is that this is supposed to be a physical reminder that, you know, Holy space, holy holiness is separate from what I am right now. Um, that that I am something different, and when I see this mixed tassel, it reminds me of the high priest entering into heaven, and it actually reminds me to be holy to Yahweh, what, what was inscribed on the priest's turban or, or gold plate. Um, so, but not only that, though. It's, it's really, really kind of into the weeds, but it's really interesting that it helps us remember these are supposed to teach us. Even the mixture laws might have something to them where they're teaching something about the holiness of God. See, when I read this, and then my there's a little note saying the similar commandment is repeated in Deuteronomy is, 22. Yeah. I look at this in addition to what you just said, and it seems to me it's saying God is the creator. God made things. Absolutely. It's not our job to create or to create mm. or to bring about new creation. Yeah. So we're talking about... And so the Revised Standard Version in Leviticus 19.19 says, You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you have a new animal or a new, a new variety. Sure, yeah. Same thing with two kinds of seeds. Now, you've, now you are taking yeah. on creation. So God is the creator. We are to, to be stewards of his creation and not to usurp him and do mm-hmm. our own. So what's the practical 2023 comparison to that? genetic engineering or creating, sure. and that's the great controversy. Yeah. Artificial intelligence, that's 
you know, that really is what everyone is talking about and a bit worried about. And we have those horror stories of Mary Shelley and Frankenstein yeah. of when you if when you put yourself as the creator, what chaos will follow. Right. The whole thing of the Tower of Babel in the book of Genesis is that once we begin to put ourselves in the position of God, which goes back to Adam and Eve mm-hmm. as well, that's when there's chaos. Not that there's anything intrinsically wrong with wearing different right. fibers or, you know, I may like my my um, my variety of tomatoes in the summertime that come right. from, you know, yeah, a combination of hybrid two seed whatever. hybrids, whatever, or whatever, or that mules aren't very good um, animals right. to help, to help right. do that. The point is, um, where is that line for us yeah. of where we say, I think I can create, I can create better. I can improve on God's yep. creation. Yep. That's a dangerous enterprise. Where do we draw the line? Yeah. And and but that let's just make this point. There has to be discernment in community because there are things I think that we can do to improve. Right. Medicine is an example. Medicine improves our 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 bodies. Yeah. And thanks be to God for that. But we also have in Scripture, in the Book of Wisdom, honor physicians, honor the pharmacist who use their God-given skill to do that. Luke was the physician physician in doing that. So, but but this is just to remind us to to keep in mind who is the Creator and who is not the Creator. Yeah. Um, And I will go back just very quickly to the best interpretation I read about the sacrifices of Cain and Abel, of of. Abel bringing forth the the um, the sheep, and Cain bringing forth the, mm-hmm. the 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 vegetation. One requires more work, yeah. And maybe some some commentators think that that Cain had some ego because look at what I was able to cultivate by my skill and by my hands. Whereas, not to diminish shepherds, lambs and sheep kind of do their thing. You just make sure they have yep. you know. A pasture and some water, and they'll kind of take care of themselves. But if you've ever tried to grow a garden, that's not how that very, works. Very proud of that. And then was Cain thinking, "I am like the Creator. Mm-hmm. I that's said, good. let there be vegetation, and I made it happen." We have to be careful of that. Yeah, that's great. That's two, you know, wonderful interpretations of the mixture laws. I mean, something that most people would not even think twice about. Um, you know, trying to usurp God's position as creator and a physical reminder of the vestments of the high priest. I mean, there's there's all sorts of these things that point us toward the spiritual truths contained within these. And that's part of why I've really enjoyed trying to dig deeper into the law. I feel like every time I dig a little deeper, I gain some spiritual truth or some insight that makes it worth it, mm-hmm. which is a, a good reminder to not leave any page of your Bible, you know, un, unopened. Um, read it digest it, pray through it, um, and trust that you will find the presence of God in, in every single page. I and mean, if it's hard, don't skip over it. View that as an invitation to wrestle with yeah. it. I mean, they're, I mean the, 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 my number one scripture that I struggle with is Jephthah's daughter yeah. in Numbers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, look it up, read it. We don't have time today. Maybe some other yeah. time we'll go into it. That is a hard, hard hard is. text, um, but we read it in, in morning um, prayer, evening prayer when it comes around, and we have to wrestle with it and find what what can I learn from it? Mm-hmm. How was How will this bring me closer to Christ, even if I find it extraordinarily difficult mm-hmm. and unsavory to read? Yeah. Um, well, that, that puts us at about an hour, uh, if you have any closing thoughts, but I, I think hopefully this gives people a surface-level introduction of how some of the the Old Testament laws can actually draw us closer to Jesus, and what is our relationship to them. While we don't necessarily follow the letters of these laws, we aren't removing them. We're taking them Mm -hmm. seriously. We take them actually more seriously by attaching them to the work and nature of Jesus Christ. We are following the letter of the law by by following Jesus Christ. Absolutely, absolutely. So any final closing thoughts? No we covered it. We covered a lot today, um, and there's always more to cover. But um, Leviticus is a, is, a, is a worthwhile book. Go, you know, go read it two or three um, more times than you already have before, because I, I think uh, it really does bring you a more 
bring you greater awareness of you know why we do certain things the way we do in church, some of the background for the words of Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. You've got to understand the law to understand some of the parables that Jesus tells and why they're significant. If um, he took it seriously, we should take it seriously. Yeah. That's a, that's a perfect way to close. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen.